Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hot Mess. <laughs> My name's first. I gotta read it again. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian, and I'm haunted by childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Matthew Dempsey, and we're in luck because I'm the psychotherapist and multicultural counselor. So, yeah, we'll sort through some of that. Let's, um, let's unpack this. That's the um, subject for today. <laughs> Just a quick deep dive. Go for I, it. What's your trauma? Okay, I was, I was speaking to my therapist uh a month ago, wait, his coffee caught in my throat. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, <laughs> and I said, I feel like we're we're still talking about a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm continuing to work through a lot of the same things. I mean, I've made some. Well, first of all, the first couple of years I started seeing him, I said, I don't think we're making any progress. <laughs> and he said, you're actually making a lot of progress. And that's what people who make progress yes, say. I get that all the time from clients. Have you said that? Have you said that to people? I, I get that from clients all the time. Um, oh, yes. And I and I will tell them, yes, of course, it takes time. And this is, you know, at the front end, it doesn't really feel like you're making progress because you're mm-hmm. not necessarily seeing the, the change. But mm-hmm. you're sorting through all the things that you need to be sorting through. It's very messy up front. And it just doesn't feel like that a lot is happening. It's a hot mess up a front. hot mess. Yeah. Do you see what yeah. I did there? Um, but I just said, I feel like we're continually to talk about the same things. And when am I going to get over this? When right. am I going to, when is it going to be processed? And when am I going to move on? He goes... You know, the stuff that really hurts deep down inside is something that you learn to process and live with. Right. And the healthiest you could ever be. Now, tell me whether or not you agree. Go ahead. The healthiest you could ever be is when your stuff comes up, you're like, that's my stuff. It's not me. That's yes. my stuff. Yes, totally. Did you ever see the movie A Beautiful Mind? Um, with Russell Crowe? Yes, where he's bananas and in, well, that's okay, not the Okay, so not term. bananas because yeah. that's not what we, that's not no, how we describe that's not, schizophrenia. They don't, you don't say that? That's no, not, um, no, but he was schizophrenic. He had, uh, he had visual and auditory hallucinations. Right. If you remember, um, at the end, the way that he learned how to cope with it was not through all the medication that was numbing all of his ability to do all the kind of beautiful kind of mathematics, mm. but it was to come off medication and to learn how to manage the hallucinations that came up for him. So, you know, it was kind of like Ed Harris and that like little girl, you know, actress who was hallucinations. Oh. And he just didn't pay attention to them. He saw them, he igno- he kind of acknowledged them, but he didn't feed the beast, right? He didn't kind of give them the energy. And that's kind of like an extreme version of how we can all cope with our stuff, right? Like it's not necessarily kind of hallucinations, but we all we all know what that sound uh, or that noise of shame sounds like yes. when it comes up for us. So being it able hurts. to it hurts. being able to acknowledge it but not feed the beast. So we can't eliminate it, but we can learn how to manage it. But for wow. you, what was your what was your stuff? Like what's the stuff that um, comes it, up from your childhood? Mostly? You know, it's this is this is my this is my split is always about like who am I for me and who am I for everybody else? Right. And <clears throat> when I was growing up, I was mainly for everybody else from from the time I was four or five years old i just remember like make the adjustment right you're a queer kid yeah something's wrong right something is displeasing Uh fix it right and so that's when i became hey everybody (laughs) (laughs) look at me yeah 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 yeah. everything's okay and also my um my father was a rageaholic he had a lot of ptsd from world war ii and so uh, it was about managing that 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That that was something that needed to be managed. And back then we didn't have uh, a word for it. My dad's just temper was super violent. Yeah. It was like hit the deck. And remember that? I always think like in the Wizard of Oz, when the witch comes, pops up out of the ground and all the munchkins hit the floor. Yes. That's what it was like when my dad raged. Totally. He just kind of had to hit the floor and yeah. wait till it was over. And like, not- walk, like constantly walking on eggshells, having to constantly cater to somebody else in your house and make sure that they're OK so that you then can be OK. Right. That kind of thing. Oh my God, it's like you were there. <laughs> so, you know, what's, in, what's interesting is I find through my kind of my own experience, but also with all the, the majority of the clients that I work with, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I, I generally tend to find that we learn a lot of this shit early on in our lives through kind of a couple main places. One, through the cultural experiences that we've had. So like yes. racial identity, you know, sexual identity, gender, those kinds of things. Um, and then also the experiences that we have immediately in our family. It's kind of like the most cliche stuff that you think of when you think of therapy, like mommy and daddy issues. Uh-huh. But really that stuff, I mean, these are the first relationships that we have in our lives. And it while really- While our brains are forming. While, while our brains are forming. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's the most formidable time of our lives. And so it really sets kind of our core beliefs and the way that we think through things and the way we relate to others and the way that we feel about ourselves. All mm-hmm. of that stuff gets set up so early on from those first relationships. So it's really important for us to know that and understand how that- got set up for us i know but but i I feel like it's it's my entire adult life and my journey through therapy has been about reparenting myself yes reparenting i love it well how would you describe reparenting for those who've Um, never heard of the concept but just kind of like you know your parents voices are the voices in your head and it's kind of like um and i was always super super hard on myself yeah Right. Even if I did a great job, it would I was never happy about anything. It would be like, yeah, but you did this. Right. Yeah. But, you know, OK, you got a job. Yeah. But it's not that it, it, there's always a yeah, but that kind of discounts it. Right. And that's my dad. Uh, <laughs> my hypercritical. Dad, with my hypercritical and nothing's ever good enough. And he also it, beyond that, he has to say something shitty. Uh. The very first time I was on Ellen. Um, I did stand up on Ellen and it was a very big deal. It was yeah, like daytime, like television. <laughs> and um my father didn't call me. What? And I was like, he didn't. I told him when I was gonna be on, he hasn't called or anything. And then my therapist said, if you want to know if he's watched the show, call him. Right. So I called him, but I didn't have any my guard up. Yeah. I didn't have. Cause and my, so what did uh, you say when you called him? So I called him and I forgot that not only is he not going to say something nice, he's going to say something shitty. Oh. Uh, I forgot. Yeah. So I'm walking into this with no armor and I was like, hey, did you watch me on the show? And then there's a pause. And he went, yes. And that was and it. The, the, yeah, and I was <laughs> Pregnant like. pause. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, and he goes, you look nervous. That was it. Not congratulations. Not like wow. What was Ellen like? What? what, You know? And and I just felt so stupid. It was kind of like a bear trap that I just walked right into. So my therapist said that um, he came up with this exercise called the plexiglass wall, and it's kind of like when you go to a a bank. There's a teller behind that bulletproof glass, and he's going just kind of like before you speak to your father make that adjustment that you know that he's going to get to you put that up and he goes like you know those people in the bank the person could be waving a gun and screaming at them and you're fine yeah 
So, uh, and it's worked. Each time I talk to my father, I make that. I love that. I love that. I would say that that kind of what you're speaking about right now is probably a little bit more aligned with boundaries. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, understanding, you know, how your dad's going to respond and trying to figure out a way that you can just speak very directly, not aggressively or defensively, but just Mm -hmm. be able to communicate how you feel, what you need, which is really solid. So those boundaries are really important. I would say separately from that kind of like, you know, a a neighbor to it, but separately is the reparenting part of it. So being able to recognize, you know, first of all, being able to really honor and appreciate what our parents did give us, right? Like we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but really being able to highlight that stuff. I mean, it wasn't all terrible, but there were were gifts in there. Totally. There were gifts, but then there's also going to be these. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's those parts too, where it makes it, you know, really difficult for us to feel good about ourselves, for Mm -hmm. us to understand that we're worthy, to understand that we're good enough, all of that stuff. So being able to kind of excise that part of it, right? Like that part of it from our own narrative and be able to replace it with a different way of speaking to ourselves, a different way of having compassion for ourselves, a different way that we can encourage ourselves so we can then go out there and actively do the things that we want to do, not for attention, mm-hmm. but just because it actually makes us light up and it's something that's an authentic expression of who we are. That's <laughs> that's really more <laughs> reparenting. What are you laughing at? I'm laughing about my affirmation because it's it's. I do have an affirmation which makes me giggle. What is it? It's, it's kind of sarcastic affirmation. It's, yeah. I'm not so bad. <laughs> self-esteem yeah like baseline baseline maybe i'm not so bad but it it actually it makes me laugh because it makes me understand that i'm an essentially good person and and at this age that's a relatively new phenomenon inside my head good good. that i'm not ashamed i like myself and as a result it's kind of like you know if i do a good job i'm like good job and if i don't do a job i'm happy with then it's not the end of the world Right. I'm I'm the same way. First of all, I, you know, every single day I do my gratitude journal, right? And then I also kind of like, do you're a not bit so of, bad and do a little intentions at the end. And I always end it with you're you're like, you're doing a great job. Like take a breath. You're doing a good job. And even just that feels so liberating, you know, to remind yourself consciously mm-hmm. that way. So. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my reparenting thing is, has been to, uh, you know, I have a kid and I always celebrated his, his victories. Right. Yeah. You know, just like, oh, great job. Yeah. Straight A's. Yes. Hit the ball. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Just because, you know, I'm operating out of my deficit of like, I didn't get those things. Totally. And then uh, what was I going to say? And then I, I have to do that for myself. I, yeah. I realized recently that I don't yes. celebrate my own victories. Oh, my God. Most people speak to everybody else, their children, we're friends mm-hmm. so lovingly, mm-hmm. so compassionately. And then when we talk to ourselves, it's like we trash ourselves and we think that's get like, to yeah, work. We would never talk to other people like that. So yeah. it's about recognizing that that conversation internally is even happening and then consciously making the choice to shift it. This is such a good show today. I'm, I, you know, we have a great, great, amazing guest. Yes, we do. I'm so excited about having her on the show. I know. We can't wait to talk to our guest today. She is an amazing actress and a mom. You've seen her light up the screen as Lara Axelrod on Billions. And she starred in the movie Watchmen and, of course, the beloved romantic comedy 27 Dresses. Oh, I loved her in the comeback. She I loved Lisa that Kudrow. comeback and her in the comeback. Yeah, of course, the most critically acclaimed movie she's ever starred in is The Hilarious Chick Fight, which co-stars me. <laughs> <laughs> 
we did a movie together called Chick Fight, and it's now showing on 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 demand. And I just watched it; it's wonderful. You know her as a talented and versatile actress, but what you may not know about her is that she was just certified as a youth and child development coach, and she's committed to her work, success coaching, and supporting our youth. We are so happy you're here with us today. Please welcome Malin Ackerman. Yay! Yay. Hi guys. Hi Malin. You're so so pretty. Thank you. Yes. Nice. Buckle up, Malin. He objectifies me too. I know, oh, but well, thank you. <laughs> I was I was really intimidated by you when I met you, you because I was such a big fan from the comeback when you where you played baby girl. And yeah. in that show, you're like such a megastar on the show. She, your character becomes a big movie star. So I kind of expected like that. I expected <laughs> you expected a megastar and you got just the run of the mill. <laughs> I just got you. No, I no. Remember like that, the, that. You, so you expected like an attitude or kind of like. Yeah. An no, no, of- no. It was kind of like you had that movie. You had that that episode where you have that big party in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. That Lisa Kudrow. And I thought, I, you know, sometimes you have a disconnect about, oh, she's an actress playing that part. I, I, I So when I met you, I was like, she's famous. <laughs> and then like within two minutes, we were great. Yeah. Well, you're so you're so easy to get along with and talk yeah. to. And you wear your heart on your sleeve, and I'm not so bad. You're, you're not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're pretty great. <laughs> Tell us about your work with um, helping child and youth in, yeah. in their psychological development. Yeah. So I actually, um, my path originally was to become a child psychologist. I studied oh, cool. at university in Toronto. I only finished a year out of like the seven year, <laughs> yeah, um, course. But, uh, and then acting took over, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's always been my passion. And I have a friend who is um, a leadership coach Mm -hmm. and she brought me in a couple years back into juvenile hall here called Camp David Gonzalez in Malibu to work with some boys. She created a 12 week course and asked me to be her co-leader because I've been around her since forever. We've known each other. And so I know all the basics and done some courses with her and we went in and it was unbelievable to be part of that journey with these boys. Cause here you have, you know, these young kids under the age of 18, mostly from Compton. Um, we had 12 boys to begin with. We ended the 12 week course with nine of them. So that's not a bad number. It was a, vol- mm-hmm. it's a vol- voluntary course. And, you know, it was unbelievable to, cause these boys are going to go back out there. And unfortunately they don't have a choice, but to go back to where they came from, which is mm-hmm. pretty much gang ridden. And, uh, you know, some of their stories are just unbelievable and you just don't know how they make it out yeah. alive. But at least what it felt like we were sending them out with was, um, you know, we did a lot of values mining to figure out what their values, what they valued most and how they could align themselves, just small steps and how to align themselves. Um, by the end, they were all in the beginning, they were hissing at each other and making lewd comments. And by the yeah. end, they were acknowledging each other. Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, they had some really brave moments. I mean, it was just transformational. Yeah. See, this um, breaks my heart already because I feel like mental health should be essential. Yeah. Yeah. It should be part of like, you know, just the attorney general of um, California is making mental health screening. She's going to make it mandatory for all children in the state of California because there's so many kids. And it sounds like these kids that you were talking to have PTSD, have childhood Mm -hmm. traumas that go unaddressed their entire lives. Sure. I mean, amongst many other things, you know, not Mm -hmm. only can they not address that, but they're they're situation where they live is life or death, you know, it's it's just survival mode. Um, but I agree. I think that, 
you know, my thing was always, I spoke to the minister of health in Toronto, where I grew up, where I wanted to change the school systems where I thought, you know, we need need better counselors and many of them. And we also need, you know, courses like life coaching courses, you know, Mm -hmm. because not all of us have the best parental mentors. We need mentors. And, And what if we had a mandatory course throughout high school of of like once or twice a week of, of life, you totally. know? Totally. Right. There should totally there should totally be a curriculum just yeah. in the same way that we have physical education. Why do we not have mental health education? Mental education. Also, yeah. it's like how it's a, it's the way that we think and the way that we feel. Why are we not educated on that in the same way? Totally. I agree. I love that. Yeah. So that's how I got it. So I ended up um taking this course now because my friend who I did the thing with, she moved back to Canada. And I want to go back and I want to work with these Latinx girls at a, at a school where they do success coaching for these girls. And mm-hmm. um, so I just bit the bullet and took a course during quarantine and finished my course and got certified. And oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, congrats. Yay, mental that, health. Yay. <laughs> so wait, walk me through values mining because I, I like the sound of that. Yes. Let's, yeah. let's mine some values. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so you basically, you know, you, we had these, we, broke off into groups and you, you start writing your top five values, let's say, um, you can hmm. write a whole bunch of them and then you pick your top five and then tequila. we go, all right. <laughs> What's that? He said tequila. tequila. Yeah. Um, That's a you, honey, that's an addiction. Okay? okay. All right. All right. Listen, I didn't know this was an intervention today. So, so, so the so, top five. So, so top five, say health is one of them. All right. Hmm. We start with little things that you can do that are manageable on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. now I'm like shooting from the hip off the top of my head. Maybe. Okay. So you want to, you start by brushing your teeth twice a day, start mm-hmm. by, you know, um, getting out and going for a walk mm-hmm. uh, at least once a day or like things that are make your bed every steps. day. Exactly. Right. Small steps towards that value that align you with that value. Um, or with family, it's like, all right, you family is your top priority. Mm -hmm. What have you done? What have you been doing so far? Um, and how's that been working for you and what can you do differently? So here are some options. Um, maybe take 20 minutes to spend time with your baby brother and play a board game with him or like, so you just, just things that are manageable. So it's not so, cause things just feel so big because there's so much going on. Right. Yeah. Right. Just take small steps with every value um, and get closer to them, little baby steps at a time. Then mm-hmm. it starts to incorporate into the fiber. Of yeah, there's, right. there's an acronym for, for this. It's um, like SMART. And, I, and I'm going to I don't know if I can remember him exactly, but it's um, small, measurable, oh. actionable, realistic and like time oriented or something like that. Oh, but, I like that. But basically everything that you're talking about is how can we actually, you know, start to understand like, what is like, what do I value? And then how are, what are the steps that I can actually take and mm-hmm. how can I plan them in a way that really helps me kind of move into that? Mm-hmm. And the best thing, the thing that I like about coaching is that being a coach, you hold people accountable. So, cause that's the other thing is you can say that you're going to take these steps and you can make mm-hmm. them but right. if you don't have somebody holding you accountable. So you set that up with your client and you go, listen, so who can hold you accountable for this? Yeah. And how are they going to do that? Yeah. How are they going to do that? 
And what totally. are steps to do that as well? Because that's part of the equation to success. Yeah. Yeah. My kid attends a, a therapeutic high school oh, nearby right. because we adopted him out of foster care when he was five and he has some stuff that he has to work yeah. through. So, yeah. But um, we, one, one of the great things we have uh, as being a part of that school is we have a, we had a wraparound team. And that would really hold us accountable as a family of like, what can we do to be better as work as a family unit? And um, it made all the difference having these meetings week after week. Yeah. You know, uh, family time is, has, has become super important to us. So my son is at the age where he's 15. He does. It's, we're not cool. It's not, <laughs> you know, you actually but, we're cool at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what he boom, said to me. Boom. I was like, why are you rolling your eyes? I'm cool. I'm a cool person. And then he said, are you? <laughs> are you? He said, so, you look nervous. Right, right. You look nervous. So um, 630 every Friday, no matter what, it's poker night with his dads and all of us play poker and he kicks our asses and it's, (laughs) it's, it's changed everything. Just the FaceTime with each other. And it's, he's hilarious. Filthy sense of humor. I don't know where he gets that that from. Yeah. It's awesome. Mullen, I love that. Mullen, I love that you're, I didn't realize kind of what uh, an interest or passion that you had in psychology and counseling and life coaching and stuff. What was it that kind of like drew you into that as an interest? Mm, Good question. I think there were a few things. Um, My mother struggled with depression her whole life. Mm -hmm. Still does. Um, We have had a roller coaster ride of a relationship. Yeah. Um, We're great now, but you know, it, it, when I was growing up, it was taboo to talk about things like that. You know, you just didn't. And yeah. so, um, I felt very alone in it and it was just me and her. Yeah. So, you know, as a 13 year old kid, when your mom locks herself in her bedroom for three days and doesn't come out, wow. you don't know what to do and you're freaked out. And it, Did I don't you take it personally. Was it, this is happening because of me? Did you uh, feel responsible? Not so much. No, I, I she was she was well enough to be able to express that, that it wasn't mm-hmm. me. Right. It was more just, you feel lost. And as a kid to see your parent that way, you know, you step into like, I want to take care of them. And, and yeah. also walking on eggshells a lot because you don't want to upset them. And yeah. yes. um, so you're hypervigilant and you're parentified. Yes, exactly. Yeah. See, totally. so I went to therapy. I know, I know, I know the terms. <laughs> Yeah. Very, very well pegged. Um, (laughs) And so there was, there were, because of that, again, you know, uh, this is a, you know, it's a disease and, and you don't know that as a kid. And I didn't have Mm -mm. to talk to know if any friends had this experience, but you don't ask friends, you just go out and you drink and get drunk to like, Uh um, and, and through time, I just realized that it's so important to talk about mental health. It's so important to be upfront about it. And the more you talk about it, the more you realize that you're not alone and that mm-hmm. so many people struggle with so many things. And yeah. it's just part of being human. And um, I really, I noticed so many kids in high school mm-hmm. struggling as well. But mm-hmm. again, we didn't talk about it, right. but you could see people struggling. And there was nobody that we had one counselor in the whole high school who was like mm-hmm. a failed math teacher or something who told you to count to 10 when you were upset. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't work. Um, so all these kids were being undiagnosed or didn't have mentors to help them out. You uh-huh. know, friends who committed suicide. This is high school. Like, yeah. so I think it was just 
that was very eye-opening for me, the high school period. And, and Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Canada. Okay. Um, high school, I went to four different high schools mm. um, because we moved around a lot. And we were, I was in a small town for two years of high school and then in Toronto for two years of the high school. So yeah. you're like the new kid every single year. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Wow, that's yeah. It has its yeah. pros and cons. It has yeah. its cons with the other girls because they hate you. Right. Um, mm pros with the boys because you know their new girl on the block right. by the way i was not like the hot new girl on the block i was mm-hmm. the boobyless um like like um retainer girl so turned on right now <laughs> i wore glasses and a retainer and corrective shoes all yeah. at the same time i used to kick my own ass at lunch <laughs> i had a headgear that i wore to school so i was not i was like you did I, yeah i had oh, wow. friends. i hung out with the guys because they were easier to hang out with yeah but it was kind of like that weird in between. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that would also make the girls hate you. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's so funny. It was easier for me to hang out with the girls as a gay guy growing up. Yeah, so me too. I get it. It's yeah, always easier with somebody different. Yeah. I, did you I, have headgear, Matthew? I didn't have headgear, but I did have big old braces that mm-hmm. I would, you know, color coordinate with the season. So orange and black for <laughs> Halloween, red and green <laughs> for Christmas. That was really, really cool. And nice. I had glasses, the wireframe glasses that are like very hipster now, but we're not yeah. cool then. Well, look you at know. you now. Look yeah. at now. Yeah. <laughs> so you're the new girl in high school every but, year and yeah. everybody's acting out in in these high schools yeah and it was just there were, you know high school was a petri dish of so many emotions and so much going on and and that is when my passion for people and my empathy for kids really yeah. came to fruition and i just thought no 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 I, we need to there's got to be you know a solution to this. And, and, and I had met some people who I started opening up to a little bit and realized that they were struggling as well with their mm-hmm. own stuff or parent, parent stuff or whatever. Um, and wanted to deep dive into it and, and really reform the schools. That was my initial sort of reason for wanting to get into it. Yeah, Do you think there totally. was an event that was like was something you experienced that went, okay, this is where we're heading. This is, was it just, or was it just something that was percolating? I think it was percolating. I think something that really oh, broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother really struggled with severe OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't been around someone who has severe OCD, it mm-hmm. is heartbreaking because they mm-hmm. know that they are doing something. They're cognizant of it and they can't stop. They're cognizant, but they can't stop. I mean, right. it was one time you know, he had this sort of thing of like having to clean his hands a million times mm-hmm. yeah. so much so that he was missing like an event at school. And I was like, we got to go, buddy. We really got to go. And he turned to me and he has tears in his eyes, He's like, oh. no, but I can't stop. Yeah. Oh, so we went and took some courses at the children's hospital in Canada. He went and did courses. I mean, he, you would never know now he's a fully functioning, like he's incredible. It took right. four years to do cognitive therapy with him and get him out of that. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness. I mean, people yeah. live their whole lives without, I mean, I've struggled with depression for years and I didn't seek help because one, I just thought that I'm just going to be sad, super, super sad every couple months and I'm right. not going to be able to move. And that's just part of being an actor. You know, I did a job and it ended and now I'm sad and I, it's right to feel sad, but it, it got worse and worse and worse. Like it turned into despair, which turned into hopelessness. And then I was like, this isn't, I don't think totally. <laughs> and I'd be embarrassed uh-huh. because they all seem like these were things like I was raised, just get on with it. 
Right. And that's the thing is because we didn't, we don't, it it has not been a normal part of our culture to be able to Mm -hmm. talk about these things. We certainly didn't have any kind of real concrete curriculum or education where we got to learn about these things more. And so we just kind of, you know, can maybe like, you know, just accept what, whatever it is that we're going through, not realizing that there are some things that we can become aware of so we can manage it. We can't flip a switch and turn this shit off, Mm -hmm. but we can recognize and understand the stuff that comes up. And mom, when you're talking about your experiences growing up too, with with a mom who had severe depression, I mean, A, maybe I'm not so surprised actually that your brother would have these kind of like real control issues, right? Kind of needing to make sure that he's constantly doing all of these um, kind of obsessive behaviors. Um, But also maybe even for you that you find yourself drawn to wanting to help other people. Because when we grow up in that way, even though consciously we don't take these things personally, kind of on the deeper, like subconscious parts of ourselves too, we kind of do because like when we're children, we make everything about ourselves. And so when we don't have parents who have the capacity or the ability to show up, it kind of fucks with us and, you know, makes us um, kind of sets this belief system within us that there's something lacking within us. And so in order for us to actually matter, then we have to take care of other people. We have to make sure that others are taken care of. So I guess my question also for you, this is one that I ask myself too, because I'm also like obviously a therapist and have had my own journey to get here. How are you able to check in on what your intention is when you're helping other people as opposed to, you know, kind of needing to like fix people or take care of people in order mm. to matter? That's a really good question. And it definitely is something that I do have to check in with myself because yeah. I can attract people in my life that aren't necessarily good for me. It's just, it's just continuing a pattern. Ooh. Is it the wounded birds? Do you find wounded birds? Oh. So often. I hear you. <laughs> uh, you know, they lived like that and poor them because of this. And, you know, it's like, and yeah, sure. But I don't have to take it on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. And I, think I can fix it and I think I can change it. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, that thing that we all do a lot in relationships, even where we go. Yeah. Yes. They're great. And I love them. But I don't like this, but we're, I'm going to change that. We're gonna yeah. Do- yeah. I got this. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I, I guess to answer your question, I think it's been only in recent years, um, starting with when I met my now new husband, I had done a deep dive after my first divorce, my only divorce, (laughs) um, and really looking into why that marriage failed because it always takes two to tango. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I realized that I um, had a fear of being vulnerable with people. Mm, uh-huh. I, had, I was in survival mode all the time. And so I always kept people at an arm's length. And same as you, Alec, like I was the entertainer. I was like, woo. And yeah. you're, you're like, I'm not going to disrupt anything. And I'm going to help people. And I'm going to. Yes. So I had to start looking at, I was unpacking my suitcase and looking at like, all right, this stuff is my mom's. Mm-hmm. Not mine. This is mine. I love this responsibility. Um, these are stories that have been created that mm-hmm. are not real. So it was like reality check. And with that, with doing my own work, we can. I. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. What were the What were the stories that you realized that you were telling yourself that you did not want to be vulnerable about and reveal? Um, the stories. I mean, I think we're our own worst enemy. We tell ourselves the worst things ever. Which was what for you? My main one was, you're not smart. Um, um, and and still struggle uh, with that when yeah. I'm around people who I think are high, who are highly educated and uh-huh. in an intellectual 
educated way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who have gone to Harvard or who have, you right. know. Did that come from having the, the learning disability that you talk about, the dyslexia? Did I, that come from the, out of that, do you think? I don't, I don't know where that, I think that that comes from many different places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's growing up blonde, mm-hmm. um, growing up with a mother who also came from a generation where it was, you don't matter unless you matter in a man's eyes. So Ooh. that is, sort of, uh, so that was a, my sex and love addiction years. That's, that's, that's yeah. really genuinely how I felt that unless somebody wants me physically and emotionally, it's, For me, it's it I, I don't exist. I didn't yeah. want to get emotionally too close, but physically, if I had someone physically, I was fine. Yes. Um, mm. But it was, it definitely is that thing of, so you don't need to be that smart. And if you're too smart also then, or if you, yeah, then guys might not like it. Yep. Right. So many things that were blended in. And then when I started to have, started to listen to my gut, finally, I was nervous about speaking out. And, and what if I do say something wrong? And, and when people look at me like, Oh my God, what are you saying? I yeah. go into my shell. And, you know, so there was so much stuff that had to be worked on. Um, that was a, a big story. And, and when I, speak to my friends and my husband and they go, I can't believe that that's what you think. And that's what you have told yourself for so long. Yeah. Um, it, so when I start hearing that from the outside, people who don't think I'm dumb, mm-hmm. um, then I, the story starts to disappear, it, but it's still from an outside source. And so I'm still working on it from an inside source. Totally. Um, yeah. Reassuring myself that my voice matters. And Reparenting. Yep. Reparenting. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something, and it's something that it's something that helps to start to change the narrative and it becomes a practice. So then we can feel better. We don't like get taken down as much, but it's still something that can kind of live there. I actually fully relate to what you're talking about. And, um, I, uh, when I was, you know, wanting to go back to grad school. So I, for a long time also kind of really didn't think that I was smart enough and like that kind of stuff. But for some reason, there was something in me when I wanted to go back to grad school, there was a specific program that I wanted to go to, which was Columbia. I had zero right to apply to Columbia, but I did it anyway. I didn't get accepted. And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to work. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get in. And I got in and it was something to me that felt like very validating, but it was not the thing that actually soothed who I really am at the core, right? It kind of just like, it was validation for a moment, but it was still a thing that I had to keep working on. And I remember this was maybe like a handful of years ago or so I went to Paris for like the first time ever. And I was, you know, at this kind of like outdoor event and just kind of like bopping around talking to people. And like, now what I understand about Parisians is they can sometimes, especially if you're American, they want to kind of like poke you and like needle you. And there was this one, I don't know, I don't know how it came up, but there was this one random woman who just started going in and she started grilling me on American history. And she was talking about like, what about the war with Normandy? What about the war with Normandy? And I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know. She's like, what year was the war in Normandy? I'm like, why are we talking about this? I'm drunk. But I was so triggered because I did not know the year (laughs) Normandy, but it was like those moments, these kind of triggers that can happen for us that literally can take us down because we just feel so much shame as if these things are true and we're revealing the things that make us unlovable. It validates the things that you've been telling yourself. Yeah. And I know what that feels like to have that shame run through you. That that feeling of it's just like, you just want to, you just want to like crawl under a rock. Yeah. You just feel worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I relate to your high school journey because like it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I looked back and I went, 
I partied every day in high school. Like I was going to studio 54. That's not normal. <laughs> and I think I was the last of a generation of kids where we were unattended and we didn't have parents who were in our lives. And so the minute I was, I was out of my, out from under my parents, I went bananas. I was wake and bake. I, I would have mm-hmm. drinks before school. I mean, uh, that's not normal. And there was no counseling in sight. Yeah. at all and it's kind of like we we were like a generation of kids who were all acted out yes. but it's like now as adults we're looking back and going huh and like <laughs> yeah. like if i'm so much in my kids life with school it's like i can't imagine that going on knock wood without yeah. me knowing about it yeah totally yeah so that's why I was obsessed with Oprah growing up because it was the one place that you could go to and watch something every day that felt like that there was some kind of actual education on what's going on and why we feel the way that we do. Right. Yeah, she was obsessed incredible. with Oprah. Speaking of watching something, uh, <laughs> Malin is in a, a wonderful movie that just uh, came out in digital demand this, this last Friday called Chick Fight. And it was literally the last job uh, I did right before COVID. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I was like, we're starting off the year with a movie. This is going to be great. <laughs> this great is the cast. year. <laughs> I mean, the cast is incredible. It is an incredible cast. And yeah. you were so obsessed with Kevin Nash. You were- oh, my God. I play Kevin Nash's. I play her um, father's boyfriend in the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Kevin Nash is the wrestler from the WWE who's like seven feet tall. And I... <laughs> I fit in the palm of his hand like a Barbie doll. And it, <laughs> he was the coolest, coolest guy. He was so sweet. And there's yeah. a moment in the film where my character asks, I'm like, how does this work? Because you see the seven foot and then you're, yeah. how tall are you? Five, I'm five, four. Yeah. Five, four. Yeah. And I'm like, and then, and he goes, well, you say, you came up with it, I think. It's yeah. Like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a great Dane trying to mount a chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. It just and his arm is about as big as my body. Yeah. And you have Dulce Sloan from The Daily Show. Steals yeah. every scene she's in. Bella yeah. Thorne. Bella I've never. Thorne. I did uh, the last time I saw her in anything was a, a Disney Channel show. Yeah, uh, she's a great little actress. She really. Yeah. Um, Fortune Feimster. Yeah. Um, Kevin Connolly. Yes. Got, um, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Whoa. Okay, tell us an Alec Baldwin story because none of us got to work with him. You had him all to yourself all week long. I don't have any like juice to tell you. He's mm-hmm. just everything you want him to be. He's a lovely human being and comedy gold. You know, yeah. like he's yeah. every take that he did. He's just so he lives and breathes it. He's yeah. special. It, it like switches over from one to the other seamlessly. You yeah. don't know who he's acting. He's just in it, and he, all of a sudden he's this character. Um, Can you break down the plot for for our listeners about uh, what the movie's about and what their in is? Yeah, sure. I mean, it really is a, a fun popcorn entertaining film. Above mm-hmm. all, it's a fun mm-hmm. film that takes place in an underground girls' fight club. Um, but my character Anna is down on her luck. Um, her mother had passed on two years ago. Um, she just everything is falling apart. And then her best friend, who's played by Dulce Sloan says it's time to, you know, to change your life. You've got to get back on track. She brings her to this underground fight club, um, (sighs) which Anna thinks is unbelievable and so ridiculous that this is going to turn her life around, but soon realizes that this fight club was opened by her mother who was Mm -hmm. a therapist and decided that these women needed an outlet to get out their anger and their rage. And so Anna becomes a part of it and kicks some ass and, um, 
and then ultimately takes over the fight club um, because it was in her mother's her mother's deed. So it's just like a nice little journey that the little heart of it underneath. Yeah. But ultimately, it was just a really great experience. It's really fun. It's really fun. I, I hate watching stuff that I'm in. I'm just kind of like I'm crawling under the covers, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the film. And we filmed it in Puerto Rico. So it, it but I guess it's supposed to be Florida. But yeah, you're Miami, I think. But we're watching it going. I was watching it's like is this in America? It was like, you just see a piece of a street or it was, yeah. it was so much fun being there to oh, be in Puerto I Rico. Filming in Puerto Rico. The people yeah. were lovely. The place, I mean, it was just a gorgeous place. What, and yeah. what a nice way to sort of start the year and have that experience before going into quarantine, you know, yeah. we had a blast. Oh, yeah. Now you you just finished filming something now, right? I did. Uh, I finished filming a vampire film that I've never Ooh. done this genre before. <laughs> Yay! We'll see how it goes. It's a really tiny budget. Um, Are you the vampire? I'm one of the vampires. Oh, oh fine. Sexy. I am like the head vampire, the like the oldest vampire. Yeah. The head vampire in charge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how it turns out. You know, we have another week of filming here in LA and then put it all together, but I've never done this kind of genre. So I have no clue what to expect. We'll see. Oh, wow. We had so much fun on that set. And it's, it's, it's right now as an adult, as, as a person, a creative person working in this, I'm always kind of dividing myself between like, okay, you can people please and everything. And, and that makes me really great to get along with, but now it has to be paired with, um, am I taking care of myself? Yes. Yeah, Do I have boundaries? Can I say no? If I need a moment, can I take that moment for myself? Yeah. And that's new to me. Totally. Well, age. and that's the before difference. It's kind of like, what does everybody else want? And fuck. Me. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the difference between love and codependency. Codependency is when we're taking care of other people. We meet their needs first. So that way, then we become indispensable and we feel like we matter as opposed to love, which is something that we make sure that we're meeting our own needs first. And yeah. then we have, you know, the cup runneth over and then we can kind of give love away because otherwise it's not a gift, which is what love should be. It's a barter and we don't want strings attached because that's not real love. No. Uh -huh. I always know when I'm out of alignment when I say yes and then I just hate myself. And yeah, I'm like, I so am I here? Feeling? I've yeah. said yes to so many things I didn't want to do. Yeah, same. But, but I have a, a friend of mine, one of my best girlfriends. She's so good with boundaries. She's yeah. so amazing and, and people love her. She's wonderful. And I just admire her and I've been watching her for years just going, wow, okay, it's okay to set boundaries. Yes. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. Respect you more and they understand. I mean, I and when you try it, all of a sudden you go, no, I can't. People usually go, all right, maybe next yep. time. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to like worry and get all worked up for two days leading up to saying no, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been working on too is not ever having to explain myself Fully, yeah. right? Like if somebody asked me to do something, say, like, oh, no, thank you. Not like, oh, no, I can't because I have this other thing that I said yes to first. And it's like, we don't have to qualify. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Otherwise, you end up like me. For years, I was the person who drove people to the airport. <laughs> I didn't have to say no. And it's like, there's nothing worse. Totally. Oh, like um, if I'm driving somebody to the airport or picking them up, it's because I genuinely want to. Yeah. But it's kind of like, uh, now it's like, no, no. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to. I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. Um, we usually end the show, uh, this uh, the Hot Mess podcast, with, with a hot message. And you've spoke to so many things today about uh, being aligned with your values and, and taking yourself. What would be your hot message today for like, um, you know, in terms of like the youth that you've been working with or anybody? Wow. Oh, 
I wish I had one like really beautiful thing to say. Um, the only thing I can say that's been getting me through this time, especially mm-hmm. is, is really just one day at a time. Mm. Um, and I think the best thing that we can all try to do is be present. Mm. Whatever is happening, be present, whatever feelings are coming up, be present to them, move through them, not, not past them. Um, I think it's so important to just, I think that's the most, the key to life is trying to be present for mm-hmm. yourself and for uh-huh. everyone around you. Uh-huh. And that's one of the hardest things. And, and not without this, get off yeah. the this. And that's, Alec that's was holding up his out of phone. Everything. But, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I held up my phone for those listening. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's well, taking us out of the present dilemma, moment. If you need a little boost, I mean, the social dilemma tells you everything about you, young youth and, and their phones and social media yeah. networks. It's crazy. So be present yeah. for your kids. Be present for yourself. Yeah. Your phones. <laughs> You're totally. so great. You're yeah. so great. I have a crush on you. Same. I have a crush on you too. Yeah. I was just kind of <laughs> for cocktails or something right now. I know. Post COVID, I'm going to see you again. Yes. Um, you're a producer, so feel free to hire me on your next movie. <laughs> I will. Listen, I've got my list of people that I love, and you're one of them. So. Oh, thank you, Malin. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Yeah, thank you, Malin. So thank you for having this show. It's such an important show. Oh, so thank glad. you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, wow. Doesn't she great? Yeah, that was amazing. That was that amazing. Was really I didn't, I didn't fully, re- I didn't fully realize just the uh, like how steep she was in in psychology and mental health stuff. So uh-huh. I, mean, I just it's kind of like when Morgan Fairchild came on the show and started yes, talking about it's science. So and good! Oh my god! Epidemiology. Yeah. It was like totally. Oh my gosh! So what's your hot <laughs> message for the day, Matthew Jensen, psychotherapist? Uh, well, especially when we're talking about kind of childhood traumas and and things like that, I would say um, one of my favorite quotes is: "Resentment is allowing somebody to live rent free in your head." So just, you know, understanding that it's easy to hold on to resentment, but we're the only ones who actually pay the cost for that. That's right. And so, you know, learning how to essentially evict them out of our heads through forgiveness, you know, mm-hmm. being able to understand people as human and all the shit that they have brought into our lives, forgiving them, because then that's actually helpful for us so that we can heal and we can depersonalize it. And then we can do the work of reparenting. Somebody told me uh, this thing about forgiveness that like, um, if you're mad at somebody and they're on a train and it pulled out years ago and you're uh-huh. still on the platform yes. raging yes. and it's like, they're gone. Yeah. They're not even thinking about this anymore. It's yep. like, if you take them out of the equation completely and it's like, well, what do I want to feel like? So my hot message is really aligning yourself with your values and yeah. really asking yourself what you want. Yeah. And I think that's that's a way of being nice to yourself, having boundaries. If you don't want to do something, have the bravery to say no. Say no. The exactly. world is not going to end. It used to shock me when people said no. Yeah. They would be like, oh, how could you say no? <laughs> and like, I say no all the time. No, I don't yep. want to go. I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. happy. I'm drunk. And I'm staying Need home. Need those boundaries. Uh, Matthew Dempsey, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. I really love your Instagram. It's fun. Why? Because it's just a lot? Because you were like, no, you will have um, messages and you're Uh, helpful and I really love following you. Oh, thank Um, you. You can... 
Uh, you're welcome. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us both at the Hot Mess Pod on Twitter and mm-hmm. Instagram. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We're so grateful that you chose to spend the, your time with us, your podcast time with us. This time, tune in next week. We'll have more Hot Mess fun. Bye. Bye, everybody. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.